The title of this message is, I have to look up here, we or you are complete in him. You are complete in him. This uh, letter to the Colossians was written, um, most Bible scholars uh, believe, by Paul when he was uh, in under, uh, imprisoned by the Romans. He had never been to this church, uh, according to um, verse something or other here. Earlier in the letter, he mentions that it was Epaphras who went and started the church there and then brought word back to Paul Man, this church is thriving. This church is doing really good. And so Paul was uh, encouraged by that. According to Matthew Henry's commentary, Paul writes to them because even though he had never met them, these people were very dear to him. There's a flourishing church, eminent and famous among the churches of its day. It was located in western Turkey, uh, not far inland from Ephesus, uh, and Paul mentions that he sent a letter to Laodicea also uh, while this Colossians letter went there. So an interesting note is that Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus, and it's almost identical to the church in Colossae, or Colossae. That's the name of the town or the city. It's no longer there. It got buried by an earthquake and destroyed. And by the way, pray for the people in Morocco. Apparently, um, the buildings they built over there in Morocco were not very sturdy, and a lot of them were destroyed. Uh, but be that as it may, there are 12 um, parallels in Ephesus and Colossians. He, Paul writes and tells the Ephesians and the Colossians, beware of philosophical arguments. In uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, which we're going to look up, in Ephesus, the letter to Ephesus, the uh, letter to Colossae, he says they're being rooted and built up. Warns against philosophy, mentions that you have a treasure inside of you and that you're complete or you're filled. You have the same spirit. Hallelujah. The same. There's only one Holy Spirit, amen? And we have that same spirit that they had. Hallelujah. That's amazing. But that's because we serve the same God. Amen? <laughs> and then there are promises and they're partakers and uh, they have been qualified. Praise God. No, actually, those are not the parallels. I'm sorry, those are the, the uh, summary of my <laughs> notes here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, well. Let's go on. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul writes and he says, I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible or possible and persuasive arguments. Matthew Henry calls them fine-sounding arguments. Have you ever talked to somebody about the things of God, trying to convince them that Jesus is who he says he is, and, and uh, they come up with all of these wonderful-sounding, very plausible arguments? Or how about uh, you, 
you know, you confront somebody with the gospel and they say, hey, well, you know, the Bible was written by man and it's been revised so many times and, and uh, there couldn't have been an Adam and an Eve and so on and so forth. So the first point I want to make this morning is that we are not called to argue with people. Amen? Amen. We are not called to argue with people. I... <clears throat> had an argument with my stepson, <laughs> and uh, it uh, escalated, and unfortunately, uh, I had to ask him to uh, move out of my house and go live somewhere else. <laughs> but we're not called to argue. However, we should be able to explain ourselves, amen? We should be able to say to somebody, since I gave my life to Jesus, my life has been changed. I'm no longer the way I used to be. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear or respect. We have the hope of the resurrection from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead. That's a guarantee that you and I, even though our bodies are going to eventually wear out and eventually we're going to expire and we're going to go be with Jesus but eventually, nobody knows when, there's going to be resurrection from the dead. There's going to be judgment day. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen? And we have that hope. Not only do we have the hope of the resurrection from the dead, but we also have hope that God is on our side. The Bible says, if God is for you, who can be against you? No matter what you go through in life, whatever tragedies come upon you, God is still there. Can you say amen? God never leaves or forsakes us. It's up to us to look for uh, that the hand of God, to pray to God, speak to me, God, touch my life, help me, because God wants to help us. Hallelujah. Verse 9 in uh, Colossians chapter 2 says, Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. These are unprofitable and useless. Let the theologians argue about all that heavy stuff. There was, uh, <laughs> uh, I forget who he is, some guy, supposed to be a very smart theologian, wanted to know, he, he put forth the question, you know, why would God have to demand a blood sacrifice? Why would, why would a kind and loving God want such a horrible thing to have to happen? Well, the reason is, and God tells us why, is because the life is in the blood. And somebody, or somehow, Sin has to be paid for because God is totally just and justice has to be done. And so somebody has to pay for the sin. And then Psalms 49 verse 7 and 8, 
It says that the wealthy cannot redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for the redemption of their souls is costly. No one of us, nobody ever living on planet Earth is ever able to pay the price and the penalty for their own sins. That's why God needed the blood sacrifices under the law so that that innocent animal would take your guilt and pay for it with their life. In the same way that Jesus, when he came to earth and he went to the cross, he took our guilt, our shame. It says for later on in Colossians that he took the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and nailed it to the cross. And what this literally means is uh, anybody ever buy a bond, the U.S. savings bond? Companies, uh, they offer bonds. Everybody ever heard of junk bonds? These are bonds that companies pay, borrow money and they pay a high interest, but it's risky because the companies aren't so stable. So when Jesus died on the cross, we owed a bond. We owed a debt we could not pay, and Jesus paid it for us. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? We could never have paid it, but God himself paid for it. Jesus paid for it with his life. There's a guy on um, Facebook over in England somewhere. They have this thing they call the, uh, the prophet's corner or something, and they get uh, different religion people coming and arguing with each other and trying to prove each other wrong and themselves right. And so this one young guy, he's up there and he says, you know, it's not fair. You know more about your Christian religion than we do. We're just, you know, nobodies in our religion. How about if we get one of our big shots to come and talk to you? Oh, okay, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And so the, the, uh, the, uh, the leader of their, their, their group, their religious leader comes and he, and he presents his argument. He says, you believe that Jesus is God? Yes. Okay. And he was fully God while he was here on earth. Yes? Yes, I believe that. Okay. How could Jesus say when he's on the cross, that if you believe Jesus is God and the Father is God, how can you say that Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me if Jesus is God? And so his buddies, his congregants, see, he got you with that question. Ha, ha, ha. Well, the problem with that is that that man who posed the question doesn't even believe that Jesus was crucified. So why is he asking such a dumb question? How could God forsake himself? Okay, so I'm sure you're all wondering, well, how could God forsake himself? Jesus fulfilled prophecy, number one. Number two, Jesus was God in the flesh. Number three, Jesus was here in time, space, and matter, while God the Father is in eternity. Number four, how in the world do you think that a puny human mind can fully comprehend God? We can't. Amen? Amen. You cannot comprehend God completely. There are things that we will never understand till we get to heaven. And like my dad would always say, well, ask Jesus when you get to heaven. <laughs> there's, there's some questions that are not even worth trying to figure out because you'll just warp your brain and you'll be so confused you'll get a headache. And God wants to spare you of that. Amen. So <clears throat> there's a... Uh, a, a phrase I heard a long time ago on preaching called KISS, K-I-S-S, -S. keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> keep it simple. 
No reason to go into all these foolish disputes and plausible and persuasive arguments, fine-sounding, Mr. Matthew Henry calls them. It's a waste of time. The most important thing to know is that Jesus took my place on the cross to set me free and to give me the hope of eternal life and a relationship with a living God so I can call on God and ask for his help. Isn't that wonderful to know that there's a living God who really wants to help us? Amen? He's not a far-off God. He's a God who is near. Paul the Apostle on the... Uh, um, in the book of Acts, whose pencil is this? <laughs> in the book of Acts, he's there uh, arguing with or, or preaching to the philosophers, and he tells them, you know, I know who this unknown God is. You have a statue to. And he quotes one of their poets. In him, we live and breathe and move and have our being. God is all around. God is awesome. God is omnipresent. Praise God. And Paul comes against their plausible arguments. And then, of course, he tells them about the resurrection of the dead, and, and that just blows their circuits, and they start laughing. Oh, now we know you're joking. I went to give a, a young man a, a Bible tract one time down at the U of A campus, and he says, well, what is it? He was from somewhere in the Middle East. He says, it's, uh, it's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he goes, ha, 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 now I know you're joking. God can't have any children. And I couldn't think quick enough on my feet. Well, if God did have any children or a son, it would have to have been a miracle. But I missed the opportunity, so next time, I'll make sure I have something ready to say. We don't want anyone to deceive us with persuasive words. So, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Remember Jesus said, he tells the disciples that I am going to be in you and you in me and the Father in me and you in me. That was a promise that he made. So, we know that 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, I believe, excuse me, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And the only way to get in Christ is to get Christ in you. And it's not automatic. I heard somebody tell me one time, oh, well, we're all going to be saved. I said, really? Do you think Adolf Hitler's going to be in heaven? I don't know. Who knows? I, I seriously doubt it, but not everyone's going to be saved. The only way to get saved is to receive Jesus as your Savior. Amen? So once we receive him as your Savior, we walk in him, rooted. Now I like this because I like plants. and I've, I've grown a few little trees from seeds, and some of them got pretty big. But in order to get that big, remember there used to be a big tree out here on the corner of the parking lot. Well, in order to be that big and be stable, they have to have roots. And most trees have about the same amount of roots as they have branches and stuff above the ground. Unfortunately for that tree out there, the roots didn't go deep in the ground and the tree fell over because the roots were on top. 
If you're familiar with Psalm 1, listen to it very <coughs> quickly here while I turn there. Psalm 1, happy is the man who, does, who walks not, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, doesn't stand in the path of sinners, and doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression. He's walking in the counsel of the wicked. Then he stands in the path of sinners, and then he sits in the seat of the scornful. The opposite is true of the man who does not do these things. The man who does this is blessed. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates or speaks to himself, mumbles to himself. Anybody ever seen anybody walk around mumbling? The Bible tells us that when you meditate the word of God, you're supposed to walk around mumbling or pondering or speaking to yourself. Like I've said before, when you get up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror, you can preach to yourself, ponder, and talk to yourself. You're a mighty man of God. You're a mighty woman of God. God loves you. God's got great things for you in his name and his kingdom. God's got hope for you. God has lavished his love on you. Amen? Day and night meditates. This person will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. This is rooted and then built up in him and established in the faith. Notice the progression. Walking, receiving, walking, rooted, built, established, and taught. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. Abounding in what? Abounding in Jesus. Abounding in your faith in Jesus. Your faith in Jesus should be growing. Amen? Praise God. We're not supposed to remain the same. Thank God that he's not done with us yet. Amen? Amen. Thank God he's not done with us yet. That should be glorious good news to you and I. Because I know myself, there's still things in my life that God is working out. Those things that we know are, shouldn't be there. Those things that we know are bothering us should drive us to the throne of heaven. Amen? What's the word say? Remember that song, what does the fox say? What does the word say? It says, he who has begun a good work in you shall bring it about to completion. Amen? That's a promise from God. Hallelujah. We're supposed to abound. And how do we do that? With thanksgiving. I will enter in his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Praise God, no matter what's going on. Thank God when you pray, begin with thanksgiving. Hallelujah. If things don't seem to be going right, look for things that are and thank God for them. Amen. Praise God. In verse 8, then he cautions us, beware, beware, lest anyone cheat you. And this word literally means take you hostage. I don't know about you, but I would never want to be taken hostage through philosophy. And this is the only time in the entire New Testament that this word philosophy is written in this letter 
to the and not just here, not just this letter, but here in this whole New Testament this is the only time it's written here. <clears throat> I studied philosophy in college for two semesters, Greek and Roman philosophy. And man, I took the final exam and I hand wrote 15 pages. And I thought, man, I got this. <laughs> I get my test back and I got a D minus. <laughs> Just one mark <laughs> above failing. I for that was so confusing. And the sad thing is, you know what? All those questions that all them philosophers had are answered in the Word of God. Amen. God is a whole lot smarter <laughs> than all of those philosophers. Empty deceit according to the tradition of men. You remember Jesus warned about the tradition of men in Matthew. He says, uh, you know, you Pharisees, you're teaching the traditions of men as the oracles of God. That's not a good thing when they make up rules. Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7 verse 9. Quoting Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13. Jesus quoted Isaiah. He says, you people are far from God. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Teaching as uh, the, uh, the uh, things of God, the traditions of men. It's good to have commentaries because you can get a little bit of information out of them, but you cannot or should not base your life on the commentaries. Oh, this is what we think it means. Well, these guys think it means this. I saw an old lithograph many years ago. <clears throat> Actually, my first pastor had this framed picture. There's five old guys sitting at a table in a library. And there's piles and piles of books opened up on the desk. And these four guys are are looking at this one guy and the one guy is you can see by his body language he's refusing all of their arguments he's, hey, he's stubborn that's what it said underneath stubborn i don't want i don't care what all this stuff says i don't I, you're not changing my mind there's a phrase or a saying what was that <laughs> There's a phrase that says a person convicted against their will is of the same opinion still. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. That's why you cannot torture people, uh, <coughs> Christians mainly, and get them to deny Jesus because they have already got their minds made up. Hopefully that's the case, amen? The traditions of men. Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says he persecuted the church because he was exceedingly jealous for the traditions of my fathers. And he says because he did that, he was fighting against Jesus himself. He said that made him the worst of sinners. People that reject Jesus, people that actually... Um, uh, actively fight against Jesus. That's the worst thing, I think, that a person can do. Here's, like, <clears throat> I had somebody tell me, don't talk to me about Jesus, you'll ruin our relationship. <laughs> well, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you about Jesus. 
I didn't care about you, I wouldn't tell you. Why would talking about someone that loves us ruin our relationship? The person was drunk, so I didn't <coughs> press the matter. Hallelujah. Goes on to say, Beware lest anyone cheat you, according to the tradition, according to the basic principles of the world. We're not world, we're in the world, but not of the world, and not according to Christ. We want none of this stuff. We just want Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Christ is the real reality. All these things, philosophy, empty deceit, traditions of men, basic principles of the world, these are just shadows of the reality, of the real deal. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is perfect theology. <clears throat> Can't be beat. As my, one of my brother-in-laws says, oh, he's always trying to get a deal going. Ah, you can't beat it. Ah, every time he's, he's, I was visiting him in Florida, he's looking in the, ah, oh, this guy's got a swimming pool. I, I want to buy it. Well, that's how much he wants. Ah, I'll, I'll knock the price down. I always do. They always, they always uh, succumb to my, you know, my wheeling and dealing. You can't beat it. I can always beat them. They can't beat me. <laughs> this was a guy who used to... Uh, smuggled people in from another country. <laughs> Fortunately, it, it, uh, it dried up before he got caught. <laughs> Can't beat it. Yes, you can. Jesus can beat everybody. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus is perfect theology. He's not the shadow. He's the real deal. Aren't you glad for that? You know, a lot of um, <clears throat> Muslims get converted because Jesus comes to them in dreams. I really, really am amazed that so many people kind of just brush it off and gloss over that Paul the Apostle actually saw Jesus face to face, talked with Jesus. And then there's uh, Pastor Jack Harris <laughs> told us one time that uh, his driver over there in, in Kurdistan of Iraq uh, was all freaked out because uh, Jesus came to him in a dream. Said, well, I can't believe in Jesus because, you know, I'm a Muslim. So <laughs> Jesus showed up in a dream to this man and he, and, he, and, he, and he held back. Praise God. I don't know about you, but if Jesus showed up in a dream to me, I'd, <laughs> I'd be amazed. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Christ. That's the man. Verse 9. In him, Christ that is, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Here's a funny thing that I was pondering uh, just a while back. I was reading a book. <clears throat> How many know that the Father loves the Son? And the Son loves the Father. And the Father loves the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Father. And the Father and the Son love the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Son. And the Spirit loves the Father. So they love each other. All three love each other. So guess what happens here? 
It pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell bodily. In chapter 2, verse 3, it says, In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Matthew Henry says that these treasures are not hidden from us, but they are hidden for us. <clears throat> treasures of heaven, the wisdom of God, are not hidden from us. They are hidden for us in Jesus. They are made available only through Jesus. The wisdom of God. That there was a problem called sin, transgression, whatever you want to call it, offense. And God looked for a man, the Bible says, and found no one, so he took care of it himself. What a gracious God. Amen? He took care of it himself. Hallelujah. Chapter 1, verse 19 says, It pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. So Jesus was a human being like you and I, walking the face of the earth over in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Galilee, and he was God at the same time. I don't know about you, but I can't comprehend that completely. That's, that's beyond me. It blows my circuits. That God himself was walking around in a human body. And his name was Jesus of Nazareth. But let's go on and see what else it says in Colossians. In him dwells all the fullness, fullness, completeness, power of the Godhead bodily. And you... You and I, dearly beloved, are complete. One translation says we are filled with him who is the head of all principality and power. Then we're going to look at this a little more closely. You and I are filled completely in him. Whether you know it or not, when you received Christ as your Savior, you gave your life to Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit, you were filled with all the fullness of God. No, not me. God couldn't possibly do that. Why not? Why couldn't God put all of himself, he can, he can do whatever he wants. He's powerful enough that God can dwell in each and every one of us because we know that God does not dwell in buildings. Amen? He dwells in people. Your body, the Bible says, Paul says, you were bought with a price, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You and I have been made holy by God. That's exciting. That's awesome. That's mind-boggling. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. You and I are in him, Jesus. We are made full, having come to the fullness of life in Christ. You are also filled with the Godhead. Hello? The Holy Spirit's the same as the Son. The Holy Spirit's the same as the Father. The Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in you and I. And the Bible says, in fullness. We're full, full of it full of the Holy Ghost, full of God. And we reach full spiritual stature and maturity. 
He's the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. Years ago, there was a, a thing going around Tucson about, oh, there's different spirits having different dominions and powers in Tucson, and we need to pray against them. Just worry, worry about all those things. Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. Well, how come there's so much trouble in the world? Because I believe the church of God is not praying and fasting enough. A couple of weeks ago when they had uh, riots in Pakistan, I was amazed. Because you could feel, I don't know about you, but I could feel the spiritual power prayed for Pakistan. And the next day, the Pakistani government announced that they were going to be giving money to the people whose homes were destroyed by these lunatic mobs. What Muslim country ever did that? That's the power of God. These poor Christians, and not only that, it wasn't even people from their own cities that did all the damage to them. It was from somewhere else, and they came in and they destroyed these people's homes and churches, burnt them and chased them out and tried to kill. I don't know if they killed any of them, but there was awful and nasty people that were doing this. And the Pakistani government paid people some money to repair their homes. I never heard of a Muslim country doing that. And I, you could feel the spiritual power that there was something happening in the heavenly realms. Church, we need to pray and fast more often. I try and fast until noon most days, but I get shaky and I can't make it all the time. But praise God, these principalities, by the way, have already been defeated. The Bible says that God, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, he vanquished our enemy. Excuse me. He stripped him of his power. A lot of people say, oh, the devil this and that. Don't give him that much authority. Don't give him that recognition. Amen. He's defeated. He's disarmed. Well, then how come there's so much trouble in the world? Because God's people need to pray and fast and witness for Jesus more. Amen? I believe that would be the answer. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven, or in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations. And lo, I am with you, he said, to the ends of the earth. So what's the point? I think this is the last scripture that I had given Pastor Wayne. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Philippians is just before Colossians. And read with me chapter 2. I do? Huh. Oh, okay, this ties in with what we're going to go through here in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The New International Version puts it this way. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or exploited. Man, he, he was equal, his God in the flesh, 
Yet he didn't go around boasting, oh, I'm God in the flesh, God in my way. No, 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 no. It says that he made himself nothing, taking the form, the very nature of a slave. <gasps> a slave? Oh my goodness. Yes, a slave. But, sorry, but I have to just, as an aside, to me, this reparations nonsense is ridiculous. Slavery has been around since uh, just about the dawn of time. And it was only the last few hundred years that it was addressed as an injustice. And there's lots of men uh, who uh, gave up their lives to free slaves and end slavery. So you've already been paid. But Jesus became a slave. A slave. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient. Oh, man. That's the word, obedient. When you were a little kid, or when you had little kids, you expected them to be obedient. My little granddaughter come over to the house one day, and she grabs a pair of pliers I had there, and she goes to cut a wire, and I said, don't do that. Okay. Next thing you know, I see her right there with the pliers again, so I slapped her hand. <gasps> oh, I'm sorry, Grandpa. <laughs> I told you not to do that. <laughs> I expect you to be obedient. God, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. One Bible commentary I have said that this in Philippians is a hymn that the early Christians used to sing. Being found in appearance, he humbled himself. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of the Father. Anybody ever read that verse in uh, uh, Psalm, uh, I don't remember which Psalm, 150, I think. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Well, guess what? Caterpillars, bugs, they breathe. They have breath. Guess what? Every animal has breath. Every tongue will confess. Wouldn't that be just amazing when Jesus comes back and all the insects start praising God and the trees breathe. Amen? The Bible says the trees clap their hands. What else happens? Can you imagine? Anybody read the Chronicles of Narnia? The animals were speaking. Hallelujah. Every tongue will confess. I believe that the animals will speak and praise God because Jesus said, you know, if you don't praise me, if you get these people to be quiet, the rocks will cry out. Amen. Hallelujah. Mighty God, the rocks will cry out if we don't praise God. Hallelujah. So what do we do? Listen here, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you and I. In the, in the old King James it says it will quicken your mortal bodies. <coughs> give life to you. As we know, uh, the older we get, we know 
It, everything does, doesn't work all the time everymore. And uh, eventually our physical bodies will wear down. Amen? If Jesus doesn't come back, we all are going to face the great equalizer, death. But in the meantime, live for God through his spirit who dwells in you. Look what it says here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. 3 through 4, I mean. <laughs> his divine power has given to us. This is past. It's already done. It's a done deal. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him or through knowing him who called us by glory and virtue. His glory, his virtue, not our own because ours falls short. And this calling has produced or has given to us, has given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature. Hello? You are partakers, not maybe, definitely are. You can be, you will be, you may be. You have permission to be partakers of the divine nature. God has put something in you and I when we receive Jesus that is extraordinary. That's not normal as far as the uh, culture goes. We're, our culture is a whole lot different than the world's culture. Can you say amen? How many know, how many heard that uh, somebody wants to use artificial intelligence to update the Bible? <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> Artificial intelligence. Who knows? <laughs> Update the Bible. God doesn't need updating. <laughs> he's, he's not an antique. He's not a, an antiquated old man who's just struggling around. And, hey, you guys. <laughs> God is living and active. He's powerful. The Bible says God puts on strength. Hallelujah. He's mighty in battle. Amen. Most of us have never been in battle. We've been in spiritual battles, maybe, but not physical battles. God is mighty in battle. David, the king, was a mighty man of valor. He had three guys that were especially mighty men of valor. He had 30 men that were mighty men of valor. God is a God of strength. Hallelujah. The divine nature. We escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And this just means desires. There are good desires and there are evil desires. But we've escaped them by asking Jesus to be our Lord, to come into our lives, to be our King. Amen. Hallelujah. Once again, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. The inheritance not only of the things to come, but right now in this life, God is able and, uh, and available to help you and I in our daily struggles. He'll never leave us. Notice that he's qualified us by his death and the resurrection and if you know, you know anything about 
athletics. You have to qualify to be involved in certain activities like car racing. You have to be able to drive your car fast enough to qualify to be in the race in certain other uh, sports activities, especially like field and track. You have to qualify to even be able to compete. But thank God we're not competing because we're already qualified. We don't have to uh, measure up because Jesus is the measure. He has made us up to the measure. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And the good news is because you have received Jesus, you and I can never be disqualified. Amen. Amen. Never be disqualified. Oh, you can lose your salvation. No, you can't. You can throw it away, but you can't lose it. Don't throw it away. <laughs> we can never be disqualified. The righteous man may stumble seven times and gets back up. If you mess up, just go to God. I'm sorry, God. Forgive me. And God will not disqualify you and I. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Praise God. God is good. He loves us like a dad. He's the best dad in the universe. My dad's gone to heaven already. But my dad was a good dad. Thirteen kids. <clears throat> Send us all to good school. Paid a lot of money to send us to school. Took care of my mom. When my dad passed away, my mom is set for the rest of her life. I mean. But God is even better than that. He's the best dad in the whole universe. So we'll close with that. Colossians earlier in the letter. <clears throat> All things were created by Jesus. But now he has presented us holy and blameless Excuse me, as long as we continue. And the opportunity or the result of this goodness of God is for you and I to follow Jesus' example, to be enslaved to God, so to speak, and make ourselves available to serve Him however He wants. Amen? That's our <clears throat> lot in life now is to serve God. And we can do that by serving our community, serving our church, finding out where God wants you to be. That's the best place to be, where God wants you to be, amen?